Well, hello, everybody. Uh, for this podcast, I want to get back to talking about the the world building and the the, the setting that I'm putting together. Um, and I want to talk about elves and the other world. Uh, the other world uh, that that's a name I pulled from Irish mythology. Uh, that's the name they use for sort of the land of fairies and 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 the gods and and the, you know magic and things like that. And I think that's that's really where heavily influences the concept of the Feywild that you see in uh, the current edition of D anD. Um, or that also you you if you're a fan of uh, Jim Butcher and the Dresden Files, uh, which I'll talk a little bit more about shortly. Uh, the Never Never, uh, which is just sort of the, the the existing place of all fantastical and magical things, um, and and uh, from from fairies to ghosts to demons to to other kinds of things. So, so th- that's the other world. It's this sort of parallel reality where there is full of magic and fantastical things. Um, but one of the uh, prime or, or more popular uh, myths about the other world, uh, and the other world is also referred to as Tirnanog, and more uh, I think I think in, in, in Irish Gaelic, um, is the story of Oshin and Neve, and and Oshin is a uh, a human uh, warrior, and and he uh, falls in love with Neve, who is who is one of the uh, uh, you you could call her an elf or a fairy or or uh, one of the, the Celtic gods. Um, and she brings him to live with her in Tirnanog or in the other world, and that they have a son. He eventually becomes because her father is is the ruler there. He becomes a king there. They have a son, uh, but he wants to go home. Yeah, he's been there thirty years, and he wants to go home, and and you know visit his home. Uh, Neve doesn't want him to go, but she. He he he's insistent on it, so she puts him on a horse and says, "Go, go ride home, uh, see things, you know, uh, do what you need to do, but do not get off the horse. Don't let your feet touch the ground." And so he goes, and he thinks, or t- from his perspective, he's been there thirty years, but in the mortal world, three hundred years have passed. Everybody he's known is long dead. Nothing is the same. The world has moved on. Uh, and at some point, he, he can't help himself. He gets off the horse. And when his feet touch the ground, he just rapidly ages <laughs> 300 years and, and, and falls over dead and, and decays. Uh, so it's kind of a tragic tale there, uh, you know, leaving his, his wife and his son behind him still in the other world. So I, I thought that would kind of set the tone of where I want to kind of go through where I'm talking about elves and fairies and the other world. Um there's some good literary references that inform D&D. We think of, of J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, The Hobbit, and The Lord of the Rings. I think that's where people think of elves when they think of Dungeons and Dragons uh, as these um, stoic, graceful, uh, powerful, elegant sort of figures. And that factors into to D&D elves and fantasy elves just, just today in fantasy literature. But elves go back in, in a, a lot farther. Elves, fairies, they don't really, sometimes it's not real clear which one we're talking about. Uh, you can look at, you know, Shakespeare, A Midsummer Night's Dream. Uh, those are fairies, but, but um, that does sort of inform kind of the way people thought about elves. Uh, 
and represents sort of a, a view of the, the Middle Ages and the, the Renaissance. It would, 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 you know, reflects kind of how elves are talked about in poetry and legend there. Um, there's also the Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer, a poem in 15, written in 1590, which I have yet to read. Um, I've never been able to get my, I'm, so I could find one if I just went to the bookstore and looked. Um, but I have a real preference for ebooks and uh, audiobooks nowadays just because I'm so busy. I'm not be able to find a good audiobook version of this poem. Uh, however, if you also look in the, the appendix in of uh, um, Gary Gygax's original appendix in where he talks about the literary sources you might check out to, to appreciate Dungeons & Dragons, he also mentions the Harold Shea stories um, by Fletcher Pratt and Elsprague de Camp, uh, which are compiled in a, a book you can get now called The Complete Enchanter, and that's complete without the... It's, uh, yeah, the C O M P L E A T is how it's spelled, but it's the complete enchanter, and it's a series of uh, stories where these uh, uh, psychologists in our world um, are trying to figure out. It, it, it's it's really involved, but they wind up figuring out that magic is real, and they f- they figure out how to get themselves into these. They basically implant themselves into myths and stories, and they visit the North Norse gods and various other people. But but one of the last ones. They actually go into the Fairy Queen um, and in, encounter the characters there. Um, and that's actually, for the history of D&D, this is a little bit of sidebar, but uh, a lot of our tropes in Dungeons & Dragons come from, from the, the complete enchanter. Uh, that was, uh, I think, the first place I ever saw introduced the idea that dragons of different colors have a different breath, that they don't all breathe fire, um, and specifically that green dragons breathe chlorine gas. Uh, it introduces a version of the taxonomy of giants, hill giants, frost giants, fire giants, um, stone giants, things like that. It is the place where they introduce the idea of a simulacrum, uh, you know, a, a, a false human or, or, or an artificial human that's made of snow. Uh, and the, the verbal somatic and the material components of spells is lifted directly from the complete enchanter because as these psychologists are researching magic now that they figured out it's real, they classify the the components of casting a spell. Literally, it is verbal, somatic, and material, uh, and that's lifted right out of there and put into D and D. So, uh, it's good D and D history sidebar right there. So anyway, but they they visit the the fairy queen and, the, and that that story. Um, and the Fairy Queen, I think, uh, it features Queen Elizabeth, and it's kind of an homage, like you, you like you got during that area of her, her rule, where, where where she was very popular among certain people and, and writers like Shakespeare, but also um, Edmund Spencer, who wrote the Fairy Queen. You know, they're extolling her her virtues and her her greatness in there. Um, there's a King of Elfland's daughter by Lord Dunsey. Uh, again. The elves in, in here live in this other world, Elfland, as it's referred to in the book, and time passes differently. So, so you see, you know, what, what, what transpires is things transpire in our world over a series of weeks, days, weeks, months, just moments to, to hours have passed in Elfland. Uh, and again, that's also the story of a human uh, man loving and marrying and, 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 and having a child with uh, an elf princess. Uh, 
the ones I like too that I think are very important for for trying to maybe get out of this rut of of elves being the token elves. Tolkien, not not token elves as in obligatory elves, Tolkien elves as in J.R.R. Tolkien, um, are are the books by Pal Anderson, The Broken Sword and Three Hearts and Three Lions. In Three Hearts and Three Lions, which again, uh, very important to the to the concepts we kind of see in D and D, it's really sort of what the paladin class is based on uh, the main character. It's where we get the D and D version of a troll. It's where the Swan May comes from. And it's really where the idea of law, neutrality, and chaos comes from. People will point to um, Michael Moorcock's work as the law and chaos, uh, that paradigm. But even Moorcock drew his inspiration from Pal Anderson's stuff for law versus chaos. And in, in Three Hearts, Three Lions, humans served the, the forces of law, represented by uh, the Judeo-Christian the Brahmic god, I uh, say Judeo-Christian, but, but one of his, his allies, the, the paladin's allies in this book is actually a Muslim knight. So, so it's just all, all god of all the Abrahamic religions. Um, and then chaos, which is more sort of the old forces of, of the ancient gods, things like that, and who are kind of rallying under the, the leadership of Morgan Le Fay. And when you see the elves in Three Hearts, Three Lions, they're the antagonists. They're, they're not necessarily evil, but they're very capricious and, and fickle, and uh, they, they seek you know, pleasures and, and, and uh, power and then follow their passions, but they don't really have – they're kind of amoral. Uh, and they're presented as sort of the nobles of this, this side of the chaos, and they've got their servants or goblins and other kinds of fairies and things like that. Um, and so that's really interesting to sort of look at elves as something other than just these sort of uh, this sort of all good, all you know, you know, you know, kind of kind of like you see in Tolkien, where Tolkien is more drawing on Norse mythology and the Alfar, which we translate into English as elf, but that isn't necessarily the only version of an elf you find in Germanic and, and Northern European myth and legend. Um, the other book by Pal Anderson, which is really good, which I think probably again gets into a lot of the same themes we're covering, is uh, as as I mentioned, the Broken Sword. And in the Broken Sword, um, the elves do live in kind of a parallel elf domain, as do the trolls. And the elves and the trolls are kind of in this eternal war, uh, and you can only pass between the mortal the mortal realm, kind of between the two their two realms. Uh, at dusk and dawn, so that they have these parallel worlds. And again, here the elves are very, even though they're not the here, they're sort of some of the protagonists. They're they're on the the, the uh, not necessarily the side of good. They're on the side of the hero who's good in the book. But um, again, they're 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 capricious. They're 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 pleasure seeking. Uh, and kind of by the end of the book, you see, man, they do have some capacity to actually love other people and form permanent kind of attachments and bonds, but that's not really first nature to them. Uh, again, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. Uh, there's a little bit of a Greek tragedy twist that, that occurs um, throughout it. I won't spoil it. Uh, read it if you get a chance. It's it's a very good book. Um, so. And again, and uh, so again, the elves living in a parallel world and having their own kind of ways of doing things and their own outlook. They're very alien, very very foreign, very different from humans. They're not just humans with pointy ears that live long. They have a, a completely different understanding of 
everything. Um, and then I mentioned Jim Butcher's Dresden Files. I love the Dresden Files. You guys should really check that out if you haven't. Um, but in the Dresden Files, again, there's this other world. They refer to it as the Never Never, <laughs> with a kind of an as an homage to Peter Pan. Um, and again, Dresden is just dripping with D and D references um, in, in the in the, those novels, even though it's a modern fantasy. He's, he's a modern day. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a hard-boiled detective, a modern hard-boiled detective story, except the detective is a wizard, if you're not familiar with it. But a lot of interaction with, with the, the fairy courts, the summer court and the winter court, which, which come from, uh, um, again, some, some of the, the, the European thoughts on, on fairies uh, and, and elves like that are kind of tied in there. So those are some literary references that I you know, have kind of always shaped my thoughts about elves and fairies and, and maybe looking to do something a little different, a little more, no, obviously not original because I'm copying from <laughs> writers and, 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 and uh, traditional folklore, but to try to present something a little different from, I think, the token elves that we've all come used to. The other thing is that uh, elves are traditionally presented, once you get into the nine-point alignment system in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, as being mostly chaotic good. And I've thought before, what does a chaotic good society look like? I mean, it's a good society, but there aren't really a lot of laws. Uh, and what that would say to me is you would have people who are generally, again, speaking in generalities about their society, good in the sense that they care about other people, they have compassion, they feel compelled to help when they see that someone is in need, and they, they if, if someone needs some help and you can help them out, even if it means putting yourself out there, taking a little bit of a risk, well, that's just the right thing to do. To me, that's good. Uh, as opposed to a neutral person who they might help if if it helps them or they might help if it's someone who they care about, a friend or a family member, but that's kind of the extent to it. There's, there's not a whole greater good going on with a neutral person the way there would be with a good person. Um, but they're chaotic in the sense that they, they're highly individualistic. They don't, they don't want a bunch of laws and, and, and constraints. They're just kind of allowed to come and go, do as they please strike whatever whim uh, takes takes hold, uh, and yet they remain good. And as I thought, what would that look like? I sort of envision a society where everybody generally will do what it takes to get along and take care of each other, um, and that's kind of what builds the cohesion in, in say, a family or, or, or a community of elves. Um, but it would be highly against their cultural mores to force someone to do something they didn't want to do. Um, and that's that would go not just on, you know, assault or, or um, coercion or things like that, but that would be even like, you know, what do you want to do today? You know, we're going to hang out. What, what game do you want to play? Where, where do you, you know, let's, let's, let's go for a walk. Where do you want to go? Anything you might do to kind of harass, push, twist somebody's arm, that would be seen as really rude and, and, and a very egregious sort of thing to do to uh, harass or pester someone in, in a chaotic good society because they have to decide what they want to do. And, and you, you could ask. You could lay out your case politely. But in the end, you've got to let them have the time to, to decide things. And given that elves live a thousand years, an elf might take a really long time, particularly as, as, as a, a human or a dwarf or a halfling might see it, to come to their decision, that can be really frustrating for people whose sense of time and urgency are much um, shorter in scope than an elf. 
um, which speaks to how you might role play an elf uh, once you get an elf player character out in a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, how, how they might interact with members of other species. Um, so this is, again, other thoughts on, on kind of how you might approach role-playing an elf. Um, so those are some of the influences uh, uh, that have kind of been percolating in my head, bouncing around about you know the origin of elves in, in mythology and folklore of elves, of fairies, of the other world, and how I'm going to put that into the mythic world of Erd. Uh, last influence I want to talk about, which is going to kind of explain how I think would make a good option for player characters, comes from uh, Mastara, uh, which is an old D&D setting that was the default setting for the basic, um, starting with the Mincer, you know, go back to the D&D timeline I laid out earlier. For those Mincer box sets, <clears throat> you've got a series of what are called the Gazetteers of the Known World, which would, which would, would describe... Uh, a different region and its people, and they had they had three very good ones, which I'll talk about <laughs> some of them uh, as we go through this series of podcasts. Um, very very well written. Still, even I would recommend particularly the ones about elves, dwarves, and halflings. Even if you're running like a fifth edition campaign or a Pathfinder campaign or some other fantasy, read those. They're they're wonderful source books for ideas for 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 those three um, different re- character races. Um, but Mastara, oddly enough, I'm not going to talk about the one about elves. They have one called the Elves of Alfheim, which is a good read. And it describes what you would think of as elves, these people that live in this ancient forest. Um, uh, they're very adept at magic, adept at sword play, and they're, they're more typical of what you might think of of D&D elves. But the ones I'm going to focus on actually come in the Principalities of Glantry Gazetteer. Uh, and Glantry is a, a nation where wizards rule, and it's divided up into small, several smaller principalities, each with a ruling house. And one of them is ruled by an elven. I think there's actually a couple that may be ruled by elves, but the ones I'm thinking of in Mistar are the Belkadese elves from Glantry. And they their culture is is um, presented kind of with with an idea. It's, it's almost like medieval t- to... Uh, uh, early Renaissance era Spain. Uh, they, they talk about the, the Belkadese elves. You know, they're, they're these very swashbuckling kind of characters um, with rapiers and and then like the artwork. You know, they you, you think you're looking at the Three Musketeers or Zorro or something out of the Princess Bride. Um, so that's kind of the idea. That, that, again, these are elves and, and leaning into the ideas that elves are kind of a little chaotic in nature. They're very. They feel their emotions very deeply. That honor is very important to them, um, uh, and that they're sort of drawn to action. Um, and so you get this sort of type of elf that's very prone to kind of being a, a swashbuckling. Like I said, uh, very colorful. Might look a little bit eccentric or exciting or uh, thrilling to to ordinary human beings when they encounter one. Because they're just uh, they say what they think and they're, they have the zest for life and this gusto, and I think that's an interesting contrast to these, those kind of <laughs> stoic elves that you see in in, in the works of Tolkien. Um, it might be a little easier for for a player to play and be interesting um, to just lean into that. You, know, you think of again of Zorro or of Inigo Montoya from the the Princess Bride, uh, or even Wesley for that matter. Um, you know the Three Musketeers, the Count of Monte Cristo, those those kinds of uh, you know heroes with a sword that also may have some talent with the magic. When we're talking about BX D and D, 
And so I think that's where I would probably encourage players in the mythic world of Ur to think what your adventuring elf is, is they've been come over with that, that wanderlust to go out and see the world and, and have exciting adventures and to have a good time um, for a little while before you know age catches up to them, which for an elf can be quite a while, and they get the urge to go back to their, their forest and, and, and settle down a little bit. Um, and that even if you were to go and to encounter them in their forest, you would probably see them having, you know, feasts and parties and dancing and, 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 and having a really good time. Um, much more like maybe what you might picture from something like a Midsummer Night's Dream, uh, where, where, where they're, they're, you know, everybody's together and, you know, drinking wine and eating good food and telling jokes and stories and singing and things like that. Um, and of course, with that, you could also lean into some of maybe the oh, Mediterranean, the Greek sort of ideas of, of satyrs and, and dryads is also being kind of in the same family with, with other fairy creatures, including elves. So that is uh, kind of where I'm thinking of, of pl- placing the elves. Uh, I started off with the story of Oshin and Neve and Tirnanog, and if you'll recall... I kind of gave them a star in a nutshell. I said that the elves are related to humans and other mortal races. They're not. They're not just fair, fae descended from fairies. That they, they've got one ancestor who is one of the she, or the fae gods, and one ancestor who is a mortal hero. And I'm, I'm, I'm did that on purpose. I'm actually I, that what made me think of that, or where I came up with that was the story of of Alshin and Neve. So again, with the mythic world of Erd, if I can hang a concept or an idea or, or a part of the world on our actual mythology. Um, I, I very much like to do that to kind of harken back to that. So I'm, I'm going to be notorious for stealing other ideas from literature, mythology, folklore, legend, movies, things like that to, to build this uh, world. So, um, so that that's elves in the other world. Uh, you know, if you have any thoughts on that, be happy to hear, uh, comments or questions or anything if you want to drop me a line um, and if I think of anything that I left out excuse me that it cut off there at the the end uh, I was saying if I think of anything else that I've left out I'll address it in a future podcast so I want to thank everybody for listening um, <clears throat> I was <laughs> initially intended to put a song clip at the end of the uh, the podcast here but after I went to publish it first time it told me that I have to only a Spotify account can do that I can't do that through Anchor but I will tell you the song I wanted to embed here is a, a song by Celtic Woman Celtic Woman is a, is a group from Ireland um, you can find their a lot of their songs performances on YouTube uh, they sing traditional Celtic songs modern Celtic songs sometimes they take popular uh, songs and sing them in more of a Celtic style. It's, it's a group of female vocalists. The personnel changes and has, has changed over the years, but their backing band incorporates traditional Celtic instruments. Uh, and, and their performances, uh, on stage performance, are very well choreographed with, with dancing and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of showmanship. They're really cool to watch. But they do have a song about Tirnanog that references the... Uh, the story of Oshin and Neve. So go over to YouTube and check that out. Again, Tirnanog is spelled T-A, excuse me, T-I-R-N-A-N-O-G, kind of like it sounds, which is very rare for a Gaelic term. But um, so, so, so go over, look for Celtic Woman, Tirnanog. It's, it's a pretty cool little video. 
Um, and it uh, speaks to kind of some of the, the theme and mood that I've been talking about in this particular podcast. So again, thanks for listening, and I'll be back at a later time with more stuff.